What I love about Bethlehem is that we take this timeless truth of God and we share it, we communicate it in a way that's very timely and it connects with people of all ages. Um, one, of our, one of our groups we have is called Axis and it's for our 5th through 8th graders. And they come here Wednesday nights. Uh, they have a game. That we teach them a, a large group lesson with all of them. Then we break them up into small groups. And it's, it's amazing for me to have this insider look at what's going on in their hearts. Um, we know and we celebrate God gave them faith at baptism, but to see it grow both through their uh, families, at what they do at home, and also what they do here at church, it's been amazing to see that progression and that growth. And something we celebrated yesterday was the confirmation of 15 uh, young people. I, I always struggled. Do I call them kids or students or adults? They're not adults, so I can't call them that. Um, they wanted to be called adults yesterday, but I knew better. Um, so these 15 young people uh, stood up here in church and said, and basically, I will follow. I will follow Jesus throughout my life. And we as a congregation huddled around them and we said, we're here for you. We'll help you along the way. Um, it was the perfect conclusion. This is the perfect celebration as we finish this series called Follow. And simply what we're doing is we're looking at what it means to follow Jesus here in today's world. And we looked at a lot of different things. All these messages are online if you'd like to go back and look at them. But we talked about the cost. Uh, sometimes it comes at a cost to follow Jesus. Um, when you follow Jesus, you have to know what to wear. There's certain clothing. We talked about that in week three. Uh, we talked about uh, following for a purpose. Last week we looked at that section about uh, when Jesus called the disciples to fish for people, not just to fish for fish. And so I'm going to be really upfront with you. We're just going to dive right into our content for today. Uh, basically, what, how we want to end this series is we want to acknowledge that just because you stand up here in church and say, I will follow God, doesn't mean you'll be tempted to unfollow someday. In fact, one thing that I'm going to say out front is that given enough time, if you follow Jesus, eventually you will come to, you, to an option to unfollow him. Um, in fact, that's our first fill-in. If you're taking notes, every follower eventually considers the option to unfollow. This is true spiritually. This is true with sports. This is true of Facebook, um, depending on what you want to see on your feed, right? You're like, I can't stand another recipe, so you unfollow, whatever it is. Or uh, maybe it's a sports team. I just can't believe they traded him for him, or the general manager did this, or whatever. And you can unfollow. You can shift your allegiance. Um, the, tr the truth is, this can also happen with your faith. As much as you can stand up here in church and say, I'll follow you, Jesus, no matter what, truth is, all of us eventually will have this option to unfollow. In fact, here's what I know about the people who have been listening and who are listening to this message this weekend. There's three groups of you. One group of you, you unfollowed Jesus for a, for a stage in your life. Uh, maybe it was late teens, 20s, into your 30s. But for a season in your life, you unfollowed Jesus. And now you're saying, I wish I hadn't done that. But you did. And you're back and you're forgiven. And it's all good. Uh, there's another section of you, the second group of you. Uh, you are actually in a place right now where you're saying, well, I'm not sure if I do follow Jesus right now. Maybe it's an emotional thing or an intellectual thing. Maybe he's not answering your prayers the way that you want. And so you're not going to follow him. Uh, maybe you're in this season of rebellion where you're like, you know what, I'm not following him, and I can't believe that Pastor Matt is talking about this today. And then there's a third group of you. I'll, I'll categorize you as mostly youngsters. 
I sound, I feel old for using the word youngsters. Uh, the younger people here who maybe you're going into high school soon or college or you're entering the workforce or you're going to transition elsewhere and you're going to be in a place of life soon where, where you will be challenged, your faith will be tested, and you'll have an option to unfollow. So what I want to do as we wrap up this series is I want to uh, equip you with one question that you should ask yourself before you consider the option to unfollow. Because when it comes to unfollowing Jesus, almost always there's all this emotion involved in it. Maybe it's, how could God do that to me? And there's this emotion of, how, of anger towards him. Or maybe when you unfollow, it's this intellectual thing where I'm convinced that maybe the Bible isn't true anymore or this section doesn't make sense. And it's this intellectual argument. No matter what it is, this one question can provide so much clarity to a foggy issue. And that's what I want to do for you today. So I'll put it up on the screen here. I want to give you a question to use when following Jesus doesn't seem to be of much use. And this question can hopefully ground you when those moments do come. And for some of you, if you're in that moment now or if you were there, you're going to look at this and you're going to say, that's exactly, exactly what we need to take. Um, So as we go forward, this is kind of a tease, although I know if you're smart people, you can probably figure out what the question is before I tell it to you. We're going to save the question for the end because the impact of this question really depends on the context in which it was first asked. The first time that it's recorded in the Bible, somebody asked this question. It was asked by the Apostle Peter, who was a follower of Jesus, and he asked this question on one of the most pivotal days in Jesus' ministry. Like the disciples look back at this day and they say, this was the day that everything changed for Jesus. And so to give you the full context, I need to run through John chapter 6 with you real quickly. Again, this is John's account. He's writing down the events of Jesus' life and he dedicates an entire chapter to one day. And it's 70 plus verses long. So this is a long chapter. Uh, But John chapter 6 starts out like this. But remember, this is the path to the question that makes sense of everything. So John chapter 6 starts out with Jesus feeding 5,000. If you grew up in church, you know this this, as the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. We weren't too creative with the title for this section. Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children, and he did it using only five loaves of bread and two fish. Five loaves of bread and two fish. Um, The disciples were distributing the food, the five loaves of bread and two fish, group by group by group, and everyone was full, and then they actually gathered 12 basketfuls of leftovers, this with only five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, the people who were eating, they saw this happen, and they came up with this great idea. They said, wait a minute, he can provide bread and fish like this. How about we just make him our king? Let's do that. Let's make Jesus our king. Because if Jesus is our new king, we won't worry about a thing. I'm sure they had little propaganda things set up all over the place. Jesus as our king won't worry about a thing. At least that's what I would have done. And they followed him. They, they, they wanted him to be their king. They, they, they had in their mind to make him a king by force. We want free bread. We want free food. Jesus knew what they thought. He said, you know what? I'm not here to be a fast food dispensary. And so I, I came for something bigger. So he removed himself from the crowd. He isolated himself. And then later in the evening, he actually crossed the Sea of Galilee 
to create this buffer zone between him and this crowd that wanted to make him a king. Well, the next day, the crowd noticed Jesus was missing, so they said, hey, let's go find him. So they crossed the lake, all of them crossed the lake, and they found him there. And it's funny, as John records this, it's almost as if the people find Jesus, and they're like, oh, what a coincidence. How long have you been here, Jesus? And Jesus looks at him, and he says, you don't get it. You just want me for my bread. That's all you want from me. I have come to give you something much more important than bread, but you don't want it. You have to know who I am. You have to know I've been sent by God for something much greater. And they said, oh, sure, we'd love to believe that you're from God. Just prove it. Prove it to us. Hey, you remember Moses back several uh, hundred years ago? He provided food for the Israelites for 40 years. So maybe if you did that, Jesus, sure, we'll believe you're someone special. And can, can you see? <laughs> they just want food. They're like hungry teenagers. They just want food. They just want food, food, food. And so Jesus steps it up. He says, look, you're looking for bread. I am the bread of life. If you're looking for something from God and you want physical bread, you missed the boat. Moses took care of that in the wilderness when the Israelites were wandering. Today, God has given you something different, the bread of life, and I am him. I have come from heaven. And the people responded, you're not from heaven. You're not from heaven. We know your parents. And I want to pause right here because John goes on to say that this is actually taking place in, in the uh, um, synagogue in Capernaum. So in today's uh, context, this was in church. People, Jesus was, was preaching to the people. He was teaching them. And pretend someone stood up right here in church and they accused me of something. They said, no, you're not a pastor. Or no, that's not true. And everyone would go like, ooh, that's there's some tension in here. Wow. Thank you for not doing that, John. John is the kind of guy who would stand up and do that. <laughs> but just put yourself in that context. There was some tension going on in this synagogue as Jesus was trying to tell them what he came for, and the people were saying, no, no, no. And I want you to picture now that you're one of Jesus' close disciples. You see, this crowd... 5,000 men, that's not a small group. They loved Jesus. And right now, they were the only thing keeping Jesus alive. You see, the people, the, the Jewish leaders who wanted Jesus dead for a long time now, they couldn't kill Jesus because of all these people that loved him. And now Jesus is in danger of losing that. So if you're one of those disciples that day, you've got to be thinking at this point, come on, Jesus, scale it down a little bit. Come on, Jesus, maybe just transition into one of your fun little parables. No one understands them, but that's okay. People just think about them and, whoa, that's pretty cool. Do something nice. Maybe tell them the story of the son who wandered off from his dad. And, you know, tell them that one, Jesus. Come on, come on. You're starting to lose the crowd, and if we lose the crowd, we're dead. Just a, an injection here. What if that was Jesus' plan? To say, okay, it's, it's time to lose the false followers because my plan is for something bigger. Jesus goes on, you want physical bread? Then you have to have me. Uh, long ago in the, in the desert, Moses 
uh, through, through God, he was able to give the people bread every day. And if that's all you're looking for, then here it is. I am the bread. My flesh is the bread. To which the people responded, well, that doesn't make sense. How can he give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus is like, well, that's the point. <laughs> You're looking for a physical meal. I'm giving you, you something spiritual, so if, if you want the physical meal, then you, here I am. You have to have me. And I want to share with you an exact phrase. This is what Jesus says next from John chapter 6. He says, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Remember, this was in church. And if I was there that day, I'd probably put my hands over my daughter's ears and I'd say, Let's get out of here. Jesus, you're scaring the children. Jesus, this is kind of weird. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, right, Lord's Supper, right? Not even that. That hasn't been invented yet. Jesus is making a clear case that, look, I came to bring you eternal life. The food that your ancestors got in the desert, that bread they got for 40 years, that kept them alive for another day. I have come to give you eternal life. So how did the people respond to this? This is their reaction. On hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is so insightful, they said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? They didn't say this is untrue. They didn't say here's, here's a rebuttal for you as far as why this can't be. They just said this is hard. So hard to understand. And who could possibly apply this? Like how many forks and spoons could we get out and actually accomplish what you're, what you're saying here, Jesus? This doesn't make any sense. You see, Jesus, all we want is this meal, this physical food, and you're not doing that for us. We don't understand. This is too hard. And that is a great insight into why sometimes we can't understand God. It's because we want this from God, and he says, no, that's not what I'm about. I'm about this. And if you try to blend the two, it will not make sense at all. Uh, this is insightful because as you look at the thing that caused these disciples back then to, to wonder and to doubt, it's the same thing that happens for people today. Um, so often what I hear from people is they don't unfollow Jesus because they, they uh, suddenly have these doubts about the Bible or uh, they didn't think that the New Testament was uncredible anymore. Or, you know, it wasn't some doubt about what happened in the Bible. So often, it's simply because what God says is hard. It's difficult. Um, here's fill in number two if you're keeping notes. Unfollowing, Jesus, or unfollowing seems desirable when God's way is not the easy way. And this applies to a lot of us differently. So just sit tight, sit tight. So for those of you in the business world, if, if, if you're a business person and it's your job to take care of this budget or take care of these profits or take care of these clients and all these other things and you have other businesses to compete with, what Jesus calls you to follow is so hard. Who could accept it? Because if you put God first, other people second, and then money is somewhere down here, how can you remain competitive? How can you remain competitive? This is hard. Who can possibly accept it? Or what about the whole creation thing? As, as, you're, as you're living out your life and God says, six days, made everything, 
that's hard. How do you, how do you apply this? How do you live this out in your life? Um, let's, uh, no, here's another group of you. Um, let's say that the issue here is him or her. And I'll get real specific. There's lots of ways to apply this. Let's say you're single, and him or her is single, and him or her is fine in every way. They're fine, right? Their, their characteristics, their habits, the things they bring to the table, their lack of baggage, everything is fine. And their looks, their looks are fine too. There's fine across the board. The only thing is him or her doesn't follow Jesus and they reject following him. And so you know that if you're with him or her, it's going to be hard. Who can accept it? It'd be so much easier just to unfollow, maybe just for a time, right? Maybe just for a, a couple of years. Um, last one, young'uns in high school, in college, entering the workforce. This is such a crucial time. This is when so many of us hit that unfollow button and we want to unfollow Jesus. Here's the thing. We're surrounded by people. Maybe it's, maybe it's a uh, college professor who's leveraging his influence to cast doubt about your faith. Uh, maybe it's one of your close circle of friends who say, you really believe that? De- Deuteronomy 13, you believe that? That's what you stand for. That's who you are. And these doubts encircle you. And, and all of a sudden, you're in a situation where it's so much easier just to unfollow rather than try to sort out what you need to sort out. But get this. There is one question that provides so much clarity when these doubts and questions and issues come up. And we're about to get there. First of all, I want to, tra- I want to, I want to take that thought and I want to package it in a different way. And the only way to do that is with a German word. And I know we have some, some people who speak German here today, so this will be good. Um, it's the word Fremdscham. That's a, that's a legit German word, right? Yeah. Comes from two words. German loves to do this. They put two words together. Okay, I got, I got like lots of German-speaking people today. Um, by the way, I put it in all caps because whenever I envision someone speaking German, it's always shouting. I don't know why. <laughs> Fremdscham is two uh, German words put together. Fremd, let me know if I'm wrong on this. Fremd means like foreign, alien, outside of you, not you, something else. Um, and then Sham means shame. It's kind of it's an easy one. Shame or embarrassment. And so the best way to illustrate it is this. Let's say you're at a wedding reception and the best man stands up to give his toast, but he's already toasted. So he had this speech all prepared. He says, you know, I got something better than that. And he puts it down, and he goes on and on and on about details that the groom does not want him to say and the bride does not want to hear. And you're sitting there just watching this train wreck happen, and you know that feeling you get? Like, oh, come on, man, put the mic down. That's Fremsham. It's this... It's this embarrassment you feel because of what someone else is doing or what someone else is saying. That's an interesting psychological thing for us, but there's also a spiritual version of it where when God says, this is truth, this is how I want you to live, this is who I am, this is who you are, and we look at that and we're just like, that's so embarrassing. How can I stand up for those things and how can I live those things in my life? This is hard. Who can accept it? 
Now to switch this around, I want you to know that this is what Jesus felt for you. And not because he looked at you from a distance and he said, oh my goodness, what a train wreck. But he looked at you and he felt this because he stood up where you were standing. He took that microphone out of your hand and he accepted the shame and the embarrassment on your behalf. He switched spots with you so that he could take away your sins. And now when God looks at you, he doesn't look at you with shame or embarrassment. He looks at you and he is pleased. That is why Jesus came. And he tried so desperately to help those people see this, that this wasn't about feeding them and giving them bread. This was so much more than that. Um, So in these words, this is his final kind of plea to them in John chapter 6. Jesus, aware that his disciples, and by the way, disciples is just a broad term for all of his disciples, like the 5,000. Aware that these people were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, hold on. Does this offend you, who I am? Does Does this put something between us in our relationship? The spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. You've been wanting fleshly things, bread. You've been wanting this food. The Spirit gives everything. And guess what? The words I have spoken to you, they are, full, they are full of the Spirit and of life. But here's the result, uh, verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It was just too hard. It just couldn't blend in with what they wanted in their lives. And what comes next is the hardest question that I think Jesus has ever asked someone because before I put it up there, just get this. Jesus can read people's hearts and, and he knows what they're thinking. Like John does a really good job of this. Uh, people, uh, Jesus freaked people out by being able to basically talk to what they were thinking and, and he would answer questions before they were asked. So when Jesus asks this question, just bear in mind what the disciples must have been feeling. So he says this, to his disciples. He says, hey, 12, come here, come here, come here. I see all these people leaving. You don't want to leave me too, do you? Now, if you're Peter, well, what do you say? (laughs) You could tell the truth and say, yeah, Jesus, we would actually prefer to unfollow you right now because we don't understand what you're saying. You're losing the crowd You're putting us all in danger because now the people who hate you have a much easier easier target to hit. We don't understand how this is going to turn out, and we don't know what you're doing. So honestly, we would like to unfollow you right now. Or they could lie. They could say, nope, we're good. I guess that's about all they'd say. We're good. Um, Instead of this, we see in Peter what he he usually is just so messed up and gets it so wrong, but here's an unusual moment of clarity for him where he uses the question that provides so much clarity in the moments when we are given the option to unfollow. He says this, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Lord, while you were talking and while you were making these people upset with you and while you were losing the crowds, we were jotting down some notes. Okay, we're going to, if we left Jesus, who would we follow? And as they thought about this, they said, you know what? There is no one else. 
And he goes on to explain why. To whom shall we go? And he said, well, you have the words of eternal life. Um, so basically, Peter was saying, you know what, Jesus? We, we remember that day when we were just fishing with, with, our, with our family. We were casting the nets all over. You came up to us and you said, hey, hey fishermen, I'm going to make you fishers of people. We're going to make a difference in this world. Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. Who would we go to? Anything that we change for you would be a downgrade, would be a step down. Um, and then he goes on even further. Uh, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. We've seen too much. We've experienced too much. We've learned too much just to fall away from you at this time. Yeah, we don't have all the questions figured out, and there are doubts in our mind, and we're not sure how this is going to end. But more than do we want to unfollow you, the better question is, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? Because... If it's not Jesus, then who? If it's not Jesus, then who? As you take this message home with you, there's, <laughs> there's, there's a couple more things to, to lay on your heart. If not Jesus, then who? You know what? So, so many times when we're in those positions where we want to unfollow because maybe it's just not the popular thing and it's going to be unprofitable. We're going to lose friends, lose business. We're going to be isolated. I can't be with him or her. You know, there's so many things that can be placed in our lives that make us ask the question, well, do we want to follow him? Here's the better question to ask. Last slide here. To whom? Shall I go? Here's my best case. This is how I'll close the series. Jesus gave you the gift of salvation, and it cost you nothing. Following Jesus in your life will cost you something, but refusing to follow him will cost you everything. You don't want to leave me too, do you? Well, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Let's pray.